But if you have a Bible, please open it up now and turn to Genesis chapter 42. We're going to read our passage that Dan very shortly will explain to us. But this is what the Bible says. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I've heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for the famine was in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold the grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You've come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my lord, we answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants were twelve brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father and one is no more. Joseph said to them, it's just as I told you, you are spies and, and this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison, while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me, so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. They said to one another, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you would listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep, but then turned back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack and to give them provisions for their journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey. And he saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver's been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank, and they turned to each other trembling and said, What is this God has done to us? When they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. They said, the man who was lord over this land spoke harshly to us and treated us as though we were spying on the land. But we said to him, we're honest men, we're not spies. We were twelve brothers, sons of one father, one's no more, the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. 
Then the man who is lord over the land said to us, This is how I will know whether you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me and take food for your starving household and go. But bring your youngest son, your youngest brother to me, so I will know that you are not spies, but honest men. Then I will give your brother back to you and you can trade in the land. As they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his pouch of silver. When they and their fathers saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Their father Jacob said to them, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. Then Reuben said to his father, You may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Entrust him to my care, and I will bring him back. But Jacob said, My son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my grey head down to the grave in sorrow. Thank you, Dan. Over to you. Well, good morning, and do keep that passage open in front of you as we look through it together. But you know, I wonder, imagine being so hated by your brothers that they conspire to kill you. And then they throw you into a cistern and they leave you there to die. But in fact, they don't do that because they can profit from you. And so they sell you into slavery and you become someone else's possession and you're treated less than human. And you're taken away into a foreign country miles away from home. And when you're there, well, you're imprisoned for a crime that you never committed. And then you're forgotten by all of those people that you met in prison that said that they would remember you. And you're having to sit there in prison for 20 years, waiting to be released. The prime of your life completely wasted. And yet, in God's sovereignty, after 20 years, you you then become the second most powerful person in the world at that moment. And you have the opportunity to have the people that caused all of your suffering and all of your pain standing right in front of you. And you have the power and the authority to do whatever you want. But, you know, I wonder, what would you do? Because, you know, that is the situation that Joseph is confronted with in our passage this morning. And it's been quite a journey as we've been going through Genesis so far. We've been seeing the story and the journey of Joseph. And we've been seeing his sufferings and the trials and the injustices that he has had to face. And yet we saw last week that he is now the second most powerful person in the whole world at this moment. We saw last week that as Joseph, as he rides through the city, people have to bow down before him and and people have to make way for him. You know, Pharaoh even said, in a passage last week, that people won't be able to even lift their hand or foot without Joseph first saying that they can. This is the power and the authority that he has. And Joseph, he's been elevated to that position because of an interpretation of Pharaoh's dreams that God had given him. And through that, he's been able to save Egypt from a severe famine. And in fact, not just Egypt, but in fact, he's saving the whole world at this moment. It says in the verse right before our passage starts that the whole world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph. And, you know, when we hear that, we think, well, wow, because, you know, it actually points us back to a promise that 
God made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham being Joseph's great grandfather. And God promises Abraham that he would make him and his family, his descendants, into a great nation, that he would give them a land. And that also God, through Abraham's family, his descendants, would bless all the families of the world. And here we see Joseph, one of Abraham's descendants, having grain and providing grain for the whole world. And it's a sign, it's a hint of God's commitment to his promise to bless the whole world through this family. And yet as we've been going through Genesis and we've been given an insight into this family that is going to apparently in some way bring blessing to the world, although Joseph has been proving faithful, well, the story of the rest of his brothers has been anything but. You know, we've seen in the the chapters as we've been going through, we see um, sons like Simeon and Levi. And they've gone to towns and completely wiped and destroyed them all, destroying the Shechemites, we see. Uh, Reuben, the eldest, we see in chapter 35 that he commits incest with his father's concubine. In chapter 38, we see Judah, another one of the sons, and he commits such immoral things with Tamar. And then to cap it off, all of the brothers then conspire and plot to kill Joseph. And they sell him into slavery. And what's more is that they then deceive their father and they they tear up Joseph's robes and they dip it in blood. And they they tell their father that Joseph, he's been killed, unfortunately, by wild animals. And, you know, if these are the people, if this is the family whom God is going to bless the world, well, they aren't doing a great job of it. And yet, you know, God could have always started again, couldn't he? You know, Jesus even says that in Matthew chapter three, verse nine. Jesus says, I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. God could have easily started again. And yet he doesn't start again. God doesn't pick a new set of brothers that would be better. In fact, he continues And even in our passages, we'll see this morning, God works. God is working to bring them back in order that he might rescue them. And we see that all the way through our passage this morning. We see even at the start that that Jacob, he's, he's been affected by this famine that is affecting the whole world. And he hears that grain is for sale over in Egypt. And so he tells his sons to go down to Egypt to go and buy some of this grain. And yet who happens to have been placed in the position of distributing all the grain to the whole world? Well, it's the person that they tried to get rid of. God is working, we'll see this morning. God is working behind the scenes to rescue them and to bring them back. And yet, do you know also, as we'll see this morning, in order for God to bring back these brothers, well, before they can, before grace can be received for them, their guilt must be recognised. Before grace can be received, guilt must be recognised. And that's what we're going to see this morning. And there are two points as we go through our passage. And the first one is guilt from verses 1 to 24. 
You see, the brothers, they, they finally come to Egypt and they eventually encounter Joseph. But they don't recognise him. Of course, this would have been 20 years since they last saw their brother after they sold him into slavery. 20 years since they last saw him. Joseph uh, would have looked like an Egyptian. He would have dressed like an Egyptian, like a ruler of those times. He wouldn't have looked like his brothers would have. And yet, as Joseph encounters in brothers, as we all the way through this encounter, the things that happen all the way through happen to point out and to expose and to highlight all the things that that the brothers did to Joseph. You see, firstly, we see that they come before Joseph and they they have to bow before him. They bow before him in verse six. Now, you might remember the dream that started all of this off, the dream that caused such envy and jealousy amongst the brothers that they wanted to kill Joseph. A dream where Joseph said that one day all of the brothers will bow down before him. And this dream that provoked and stirred up so much anger that they they sold Joseph off because of this dream that he had. And yet a few chapters later, here we are. And this promise, this dream has come true. His brothers are bowing down before him, pointing them back to that moment before they sold him off into slavery. And then Joseph, well, as he has his brothers before him, he decides to play a little game called undercover brother. And he starts accusing them of being spies that have been sent to search out the land. And the brothers, clearly in fear of their lives, they plead their innocence by saying that, you know, they're just ordinary people and they have a brother back home and they have a father back home. They're they're ordinary people from Canaan who have simply come to buy grain so that they might not die. And yet Joseph, he sets out a test. And that comes in verse 16, if you look with me. Joseph says, send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are telling the truth, which is interesting because these brothers have done anything but tell the truth. You think about the story when they sold Joseph into slavery. They then went back to their father and they deceived their father, Jacob. And they said that Joseph, he'd been killed by a wild animal and they ripped up the robe and dipped it in blood. And Joseph, he tests one thing in particular, their honesty and their integrity, pointing them back to the way that they had totally deceived their father and covered up uh, their evil schemes. And finally, we see that after the brothers have pleaded with Joseph, Joseph then sends all of them back, apart from one, Simeon. And Simeon, as it says, was bound, verse 24, before their eyes. Now, I don't know exactly what the brothers would have been thinking, what have been going through their head as they saw Simeon being bound before their eyes. But, you know, surely... As their brother was being bound and taken away from them, surely their minds must have gone back 20 years to when they bound and sent away 
their brother Joseph. Surely, as they saw that, it must have reminded them of what they did to their brother. And so all of these things in this first section, they they highlight and they remind the brothers of Joseph and what they did to him. And we know it did because at the end of the section, we see that it's clear that they equate all that is happening to them at this moment to what they did to Joseph 20 years ago. They say in verse 21, look with me, they say, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. Do you know, for the brothers, it's finally happened. The light bulb has been switched on and the brothers realise their sin. They recognise their guilt. And it brings them to a point where they're truly humbled in our passage. They're truly humbled by what they have done, humbled to the point where they know, they realise and they expect to be held to account for what they've done. For them, they know that the game is over. The running has stopped and the pretending has been exposed. And do you know this morning, the truth is, is that one day we will have to bow down before someone far greater than Joseph. Not just the ruler of a nation, but the ruler and the sustainer of the universe. A king with more glory and authority than we could ever imagine. You know, as Philippians 2 verse 10 says, that every knee will bow and every tongue will have to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you know, whilst we might not have sold him into slavery or thrown him into a cistern, Do you know, each of us in our own way have rejected him. We've maybe lived by trying to pretend and put off who he is. Pretending that he's still dead, lying in a grave in Jerusalem. Forgotten about. We don't need to worry about him anymore. But do you know, just like Joseph, Jesus has been elevated and he's been lifted And Jesus, he's been raised and he's been given power and authority far more than Joseph. And one day it says we will bow before him. And when we stand before him, we will be truly humbled. When we stand before him, we will recognise our guilt, the way that we have treated him. Do you know, someone once said, someone said, Before we can hear the words, you are forgiven, we must be able to say the words, I have sinned. Before grace can be received, guilt must be recognised. Guilt is our first point in our passage. But secondly, this morning, we see grace. We see grace. And that's from verses 25 to 38. You see, whilst the brothers have recognised their guilt and whilst they have their brother who they sold into slavery right in front of them, what happens next? Uh, Whilst might not be a surprise to us this morning, well, it's everything that we shouldn't expect to happen. Look with me at verse 25. It says, Joseph 
gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. In fact, what Joseph does is far from treating them like he was treated. But in fact, he models the most amazing picture of grace for us this morning. You see, Joseph, instead of ordering their punishment, he orders his servants to fill their bags with grain. And let's remember, grain's not just, you know, some nice food for them to eat. Grain in this situation that they're in is the difference between life and death. If we remember back in, we look back in verse two of our passage. uh, Jacob says to his sons, he says, go down there and buy some for us so that we might live and not die. And so when Joseph, he's filling their bags with grain, this is Joseph saving his family providing a way of rescue from starvation. And yet what's more incredible is that these brothers, along with the grain that they go home with, also find silver in their bags as well. Meaning that these brothers don't even have to pay for the grain that they've received. Joseph freely gives it to them. Do you know, it's interesting, isn't it, when you think back to that moment when these brothers last saw their brother Joseph and they profited from Joseph's life. They sold him into slavery and yet now they are profiting from their brother's grace to them. From the gift of grain and even their silver and provisions for the journey. It's an abundance thing. They've been giving more than they could ask for. They deserve none of it. They pay for none of it. And yet they receive all of it as they go back home. And this was what God was wanting. This is what God was working towards. God even took their evil deeds, their sin, took the broken situation that Joseph was placed in. And as Joseph says, and Joseph will say later on in the book of Genesis, he says, God worked it for good. And not just the good of Joseph, but for the good of his brothers who sold and rejected their brother. This is God's grace to his people. This is what God has been working in order to provide a rescue for his people. And, you know, this morning, can you believe That the one that we have rejected, the one that we have in many ways exchanged things that we thought were way more precious for. The one that we thought was maybe dead and buried, the one we thought was confined to the pages of history. Well, now he stands in glory and authority. And we bow before him completely powerless, completely guilty before him. And yet Jesus, just like Joseph in our passage this morning, stands ready to offer us not just mercy, but grace. You know, someone helpfully said and explained it this way, that that mercy is not getting what I deserve. And yet grace is getting what I don't deserve. 
you know, one of Phil's favourite illustrations that he'll use on, on Christianity Explored. And uh, I think he's even used at church from time to time is the illustration of grace found in Les Miserables. And uh, he's used it so many times that I thought it'd probably be best if I went and watched the film. I'd never watched it before, the musical or, or anything like that. But I decided to go and watch the film. And, and I just warn you, it is a very long film. And so if you're planning on watching it, I would book out the whole evening. Uh, and I only got through half of it. Um, I will confess that, but it's okay because the illustration came in the half I did watch. And in Les Miserables, uh, there's the main character, Jean Valjean, and, and he's in a desperate situation. And he takes refuge and shelter outside the home of this priest. And the priest, he, he sees and finds Jean Valjean and welcomes him in and feeds him, offers him food and drink and a bed for the night. And yet in the middle of the night, Jean Valjean, he, he wakes up and he goes and robs the priest of all of his treasures, all of his silver, and puts it in his bag and runs away. And yet Jean Valjean, he's caught by the authorities. And he even dares to say and come up with the excuse that the priest had given him uh, these pieces of silver that were in his bag, that they were a gift to him. And so the authorities, they drag him to the home of the priest and the authorities say, uh, he says that you are given him as a gift. And, you know, to everyone's surprise, including Jean Valjean, the priest confirms that what Jean Valjean had been saying is true. And so the priest offers Jean Valjean mercy and he, he asks that the authorities release him and let him go. He offers him mercy. And yet what's more incredible in this uh, in this film is that the priest after asking Jean Valjean and letting them off the hook, he then turns round and he goes to find the two most precious pieces of silver in his house. And he gets the two silver candlesticks on his table. And he says to Jean Valjean, but you have forgotten to take these as well. And he gives them the two candlesticks. An amazing act of grace. He gives to Jean Valjean everything that he doesn't deserve. Not just mercy, but grace. And this morning, do you know, like the brothers, like Jean Valjean, we come before Jesus, not only receiving mercy, but receiving grace. Receiving more than we came to him with. But Jesus, he doesn't just forgive us and not treat us as we deserve, but rather he gives us grace as Ephesians says, he blesses us with every spiritual blessing. He gives us an eternal inheritance, an eternal hope to look forward to. He adopts us into his family that we become children of God. He gives us his spirit to live within us and so much more. His word to follow. Jesus offers grace this morning. We deserve none of it. We pay for none of it. We earn none of it. We cannot earn it. But we receive all of it from him this morning. And yet, you know, in our passage this morning, we would think that maybe the brothers would be overjoyed at seeing what's in their bags, at receiving provisions of grain, and, and they haven't even had to pay for it. What a result. And yet in our passage this morning, it's interesting to see how they respond. 
Look with me at verse 28. It says, my silver has been returned. He said to his brothers, here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank and they turned to each other trembling and said, what is this that God has done to us? And then they go back to their family, they go back to their father, Jacob. And Jacob says, when he hears all of this news, he says, verse 36, he says, everything is against me. And so here are Jacob, here are Joseph's brothers, and they are crying out that everything seems to be against them. That They're saying that God is working against them at this moment. And we, the reader, as we've been going through this story, we, we hear that. And we know that in actual fact, God has not been working against them. God has been working for them. And when they cry out, what is this that God has done? They don't see what God has done in providing a rescue for them. Bringing this grace in the grain and the silver and the provisions for their family. In Joseph being brought about to that position in order that they might receive that rescue. They can't see what God has done. This has been the whole story of Genesis that we've been seeing that as Jacob and the brothers, they they think it looks one way. Actually, they can't see the way in which God has been working, even in the trial, even in the tragedy, even in their own sin. God has been working in order to bring them back. And not just bring them back, but in order that they might be rescued and saved from this famine. And, you know, it might even be this morning that that we hear what Jacob and the brothers have been saying. And we maybe echo that at times. We maybe think that in some way God is working against us. We we might be thinking we might refuse to even think Or entertain a thought that God would ever be gracious or merciful towards us. That's not what he's wanting to do. And yet this morning, that is exactly what God has done. And just like Jacob and the brothers didn't do, we need to step back and we need to take one big look and see what God has done. The way in which God has been working in order to bring us back to him this morning to rescue each of us this morning and to show us the most incredible grace that we could ever imagine this morning. Do you know, we saw at the start, I mentioned about that promise uh, that God gave to Abraham at the start of Genesis, that through his family, uh, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And do you know what? 42 generations later, after Abraham, through so many broken situations, through so many broken people along the way, 42 generations later, there is one descent of Abraham that comes, Jesus. And through him, through his trials, through his sufferings, through even his death on the cross, being like Joseph, unjustly condemned. Well, on that cross, Jesus makes a way for all of our guilt to be completely removed forever. For us to be forgiven, 
And Jesus, three days later, he rises again. And so that he offers the whole world this grace, this opportunity, not just to be forgiven, but to have everything that comes with God's grace, with an eternal inheritance, with life to come instead of death. And he offers this to all nations. And so this morning, as we look at what God has done throughout history, what God has done through his son, the Lord Jesus, I hope we see just how much the lengths, the depth that God has gone to in order that we might be brought back, in order that we might be rescued, working through broken situations, desperate situations, broken people in order to fulfil his promises, in order that grace might be offered to each of us this morning. You know, there's a man called H.C. Turnbull, and he once said that Calvary, that's the cross. He says, Calvary shows just how much man will go in their sin, but how far God will go for their salvation. And, you know, this morning we've seen these brothers confronted with their guilt. They have no ground to stand on and they stand before the very person that they have tried to kill. And yet this morning we've seen that Joseph demonstrates the most extraordinary grace to them. Even the brothers that had tried and plotted to kill him and sold him into slavery. And this morning... Do you know, I hope we see, I hope we see more than anything, just like Joseph and everything that God did to bring about his purposes, bring about this rescue. I hope we see this morning how far God has gone to bring each of us this morning, this rescue that he offers in Jesus. How far God has gone to extend to us this morning the grace that he has in store, that he wants us to receive and to know this morning. Guilt, yes, but God extends to us grace, such amazing grace to us through Jesus this morning.